0: So we, we, we are starting a new series this morning um, called Misfit Heroes, and uh, the thing about it is I, I truly believe that the Bible is full of misfit heroes. I believe that that is the story of the Bible, the story of the Gospels even, um, is that uh, God uses what everybody else would see as unusable. And I want to kind of go through different stories of the Bible, different people of the Bible, and talk about how, you know, we hail them as these, it's easy hindsight 2020 to hail people and go, oh my gosh, they're an amazing biblical story and biblical hero. But think about what they were walking through in those moments and and how God, uh, you know, was speaking to them and how inadequate and unqualified they felt. And so each week we're going to look at uh, a different person in the Bible. And we're not just gonna study them. We're gonna talk about what it looks like. How do we apply what the lessons they've learned to our lives? That God wants to use you. He's not done, he may be done writing the Bible, but he's not done writing historical stories of God using misfit heroes, amen? Um, so uh, he, here's the thing. I, I love this. I found this, uh, this, this saying. It says, the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. And it sounds like, duh, duh, you know, but how many times do we feel inadequate, unqualified to to make a difference, to to just, you know, half the time we're just like barely trying to keep, we feel like we're barely trying to keep our head above water, let alone being able to make a difference in this world. How, how can I really change the world around me? How can I really make a difference in this world when I feel so inadequate? inadequate compared to other people. Why would God want to use me? I think it's a question that we all get challenged with. Why would would God want to use me when there's so many other options, when there's far better options? That's what I I tell God. God, there, there are so more options than me. Why would you want to use me? Why would you want to? Why would you want to mess with somebody that you have to work so hard on to make a difference? And and I believe that so many times we we all think that like well you know I, I don't I don't speak well. I tell people I will butcher the English language, big time. Uh, it is not my strongest suit when it comes to education. Uh, I got I got a lot of other things that I'm good at, and English is not one of them. And it's funny because now in my other job I have to write reports all day, and I'm telling you I, I can I can wordsmith stuff. But I don't know where commas and periods and quotation marks go, so it's just it is what it is. Um, When when I get them back from somebody, they're like, "Can you fix this?" I'm like, "Okay." (laughs) Hopefully, Word tells me where to put it, you know. So there's a lot of things that I feel like I am a mess of a person. Why would God want to waste time with me? I love this song by Matthew West um, called "Broken Things," Uh, and I'm not gonna read the whole song's lyrics. That would Be redundant to listening to the song. But there are a few lyrics that I want to pinpoint out as we begin this message today. In the very first verse, he says, He starts out with, If grace was a kingdom, I'd stop at the gate, thinking, I don't deserve to pass through after all the mistakes that I've made. Y'all, how many times have you been there where you feel like, Why would God want to forgive me again? Why, Why would God want to? continue to pour out his grace and his and his purpose and his and 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 his forgiveness on me just somebody who constantly makes mistakes and, and you almost feel like I know I'm going to get to heaven and it's going to be like a psych you're not getting in moment <laughs> you know i stand at the, at the gate of the kingdom thinking, I don't deserve to pass through these gates. I am not Paul the apostle. I'm not Peter. I'm not Moses. I'm not any of these great men that, that God would want to use. And then we realize that really all of those men were just as screwed up as the rest of us, and yet God used them in mighty ways. The second verse says this. It says, the pages of history, they tell me it's true that it's never the perfect It's always the ones with scars that you use. It's the rebels and the prodigals. It's the humble and the weak. All the misfit heroes you choose tell me there's hope for sinners like me. And then in the chorus it says, but if it's true you use broken things, then here I am, Lord, I'm all yours. See, it's interesting when we understand that God is not looking for perfect. He's not looking for having it all together. He's just looking for willingness, that there is a response in our heart that goes, oh, Okay, if you can use them, when we start to look at some of these people and you go, these people are screwed up. Like, when we get to David and you realize that David is an adulterous murderer and it was after that that God called him a man after his own heart. Like, it wasn't like God said, oh, David, you're such a great man. You're such a great leader. You're such a this, that, and the other. I'm so proud of you. And then he goes, okay, let me tell you how I can screw it up. I'm going to go impregnate a girl and uh, kill her husband. It's in the Bible. It was after he did that, that he found God's grace and forgiveness. And God says, David, you're a man after my own heart. See, it's these stories that you realize, man, there's a lot of screwed up people in the Bible. And they did great things. And if they can, why not you? Why not me? Why, why not, you know, why, why can't we see God do great things in our own homes, in our own workplaces, and in our town, Camden, to, to see God do great things with misfit heroes that are just willing to say, God, I'm here. I'm all yours. I'm willing to do whatever you ask of me. Throughout history, God has always used the least likely and the most unqualified to provoke change. In, in, in church culture, Right now, we, we see um, the the limelight and the the pastors, they call it, you know, they'll, they'll call it, and I don't like it because it's not necessarily they're calling themselves that, it's other people calling them celebrity pastors. But I do believe that in any level of leadership, you've got to be mindful and careful that you don't fall. And we've seen, uh, it, I don't know how many of y'all follow church culture. I follow it, obviously, because it's it's my world and it's my life. And there's a lot of men that I look up to and I learn from and I glean from, from, uh podcasts and and watching them online and, you know, to watch them fall, it is, it's horrific. It's, it's, it's sad. It's watching your heroes fall. And then you realize that anybody that puts themselves in a position where they forget that they're just a broken person doing things for God, then, then you start to misplace yourself in the story. See, the Bible is full of misfits, those who usually uh, lost out on man's approval, but always won in God dreamed visions. I want, you to, I want you to give yourself some freedom in, in the next few weeks to, to dream. What is it? What is it that you could dream that maybe maybe you're, you've held back from? And, and it doesn't even have to be spirit. Like, you know, a lot of times when, when we hear pastors say that, oh, I'm gonna, I want to read my Bible full through for, for, for a full year. Cool. Like, if that's your dream, do it. But maybe there's something inside of you that God wants to do the stir to, maybe it's start a business. Maybe it's, it's to, to, I know people that, you know, I'm gonna read a book a month. Good luck. If I read two books, books a year. And I, I don't like to read, but when I get into a book, I can really get into it, I like it. But the problem is it's like working out. I gotta really convince myself to get there. And so, uh, and so when I open up a book that I like, man, I get really into it. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I should have started this like five years ago. And then I put it down, and I'm like, I got to move on to the next book. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm going to take a break. So It's a lot like working out, okay? And, and, and so maybe, maybe that's just, maybe it is. Maybe I'm gonna, I want to get healthier. Maybe it's you want to take some time and to learn how to be the best version of yourself as a, a husband or a father or a wife or a mother. What I'm saying is, is that there are dreams inside each and every one of our lives that if we would really tap into and ask God to birth, that he would show you that you, you are not an unqualified person. You are right where you need to be. So let's look at what a misfit is. There's actually a biblical definition of a misfit. A misfit is this, a person who is poorly adapted to a situation or environment, <laughs> Like, this is not a word that you naturally want to be called. Oh, you're such a misfit. I'm so glad you called me that. Like, no, like, I don't, you know, this, this, this in and of itself would be like, I, you're, this is horrible. I don't want to be a misfit. But when given in improper uh, context, you can realize that being a misfit is actually a very, very great title to have. There's a Christian hip-hop group called Social Misfits that I listen to, um, and they're these two guys from New York, and, and they've got a shady past. One of them's been to prison and all that kind of stuff. And um, I just love the idea of Social Misfit. Like I, I'm, not, I'm not looking to fit in with anybody. I'm not looking to, to fall in line with the crowd. I'm not looking to, to necessarily be popular, and if people like me, that's great, but here's the one thing that I do know is that I'm going to be me no matter what. Like if I don't fit in, if I don't, if I don't you know, socially am acceptable to, to your carved out image of what somebody should look like, then all I know is that I've got to follow after what God has designed and created me for. Can I tell you that God loves the underdog story? He loves the outcast because they are not afraid to go all in and give credit to the reason and purpose for who they are. Typically, when you, when you feel like you have it all together or you're, you know, I see athletes and artists and all this stuff and, you know, they get really big headed and egoed and all that kind of stuff. And it, it, it's the quiet kid that, you know, never seems to find their place or, or the one that, you know, likes something that nobody else likes. Talk to somebody who, who follows like Comic-Con or comics or, you know, uh, Japanese anime uh, martial art things. Like this this these are not shows that they're just gonna wear on their sleeve, okay? Like most of them aren't running around like Pikachu, like you know. <laughs> Listen, I guess they are running around It's Pokemon Go, okay? They literally are running around trying to catch them all. Uh but <laughs> but here's the thing. Most of them, like I remember in high school, like nobody, like nobody was walking around going like, oh yeah, what's the the Japanese anime that everybody's into? Uh uh. Whatever he said. Um, <laughs> a resident misfit in the back. Um, I, he probably could tell you all about it. I, I have no clue about it. I just know that he's, you know, like there's one guy with blue hair that's spiky, and, and, and that's about all I know. Like, you know, I know Pokemon because my kid tries to catch them all. Um, you know what I mean? But like these aren't things that people naturally run around t- sharing. I mean, because it isn't the natural form. Like, people aren't going, oh, yeah. I, you know, I was at home last night, and I was watching uh, Pokemon for the 18,000th time. I caught a Jar Jar. No. But, like, could you imagine? <laughs> listen, uh, listen, squirrel's playing ping pong. I'm just saying, would you, could you imagine with me a group of guys standing around, and instead of talking about football or baseball or basketball, they're over here like, hey, what'd you catch? Oh, man, check out my Pokemon list. Or, hey, you know, check out my t-shirt with this blue-headed freak on it. it like, they're not, they're, they're not normal. It's not, it's not what we... It would be like a grown man walking around with a Care Bear. Care Bear stare. Right? These are things that would get you side-eyed real quick. Like, oh, this guy's special. Give him a space. But it's interesting because those are the people on a spiritual level that God wants to use. It's the person that, listen, I remember, and I played uh, sports my whole life, and uh, I remember about my eighth grade freshman year, I started to like, we'd moved around a lot, uh, the coaches had not seen me, and I remember going into freshman football, and the coach said this line, said, we've been watching most of you since Pee Wee football, and I'm like, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I've only been here a year, and right away, you could tell, because despite my, my ability, he didn't know me, and so it wasn't, I wasn't getting the same reps, I wasn't getting the same attention, and it discouraged me, and so I lost my identity as an athlete, which meant that then I realized I don't really have an identity outside of this. I started to question, if, I'm, if I don't have sports, then who am I? If I, if, I don't, if I don't feel connected to a team or, or a, a group like that, then, then who am I? And, and, and walk through this phase of, of really losing my identity, becoming a misfit, becoming somebody who, who did not know where they were heading in life until I found God. And he started to show me that the things that he had built in me through sports and through uh, teamwork and all that, that those same truths were evident in the gospel and in the church. See, the goal of this series is to look at the lives of spiritual misfits and learn from them, to pull out God truths of their story and apply them to our everyday life. So here's the thing. I think the reason why God wants to use misfits and really wants us all to find our place in kind of that unqualified, uncomfortable portion of our life is because it's in that that we lose the fear to go all in. Because if we feel like we've got something to lose, if we feel like there is a plan B, we will always use it. Think about, you know, just anything, a job you're unsure of, a relationship you're unsure of. You kind of put in your back pocket, well, is there a way out? And more times or not, when you have a way out, you will at some point use it because things will get uncomfortable. They will get hard. They will get frustrating. And you will say, I'm done. And God says, listen, don't. Find a plan B in your spiritual life. Don't, don't allow the enemy to lie to you and say, well, you tried God. It wasn't good enough. You weren't good enough. Your past held you back. He wasn't really all loving or all caring or all knowing. So, so just, just, it's okay. You tried it. No plan B. So I've got four thoughts this morning. They're really easy, simple thoughts, and they all centered around one set of scriptures for the most part. It's First Peter 2, 9 through 12. I'm going to be reading in the Passion Translation, so it may sound a little bit different, uh, kind of like the Message Translation, which I have another scripture in as well today. But it says this, but you are God's chosen treasure. I love that. You are God's chosen treasure. Priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light. And now he claimed you as his very own. He did this so that you wouldn't broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. For at one time, you were not God's people, but now you are. At one time, you knew nothing of God's mercy because you hadn't received it yet. But now you are drenched with it. My divinely loved friends... Since you are resident aliens and foreigners in this world, I appeal to you to divorce yourself from the evil desires that wage war within you. Live honorable lives as you mix with unbelievers, even though they accuse you of being evildoers, for they will see your beautiful works and have a reason to glorify God in the day he visits you. I love the way that, that that articulates that scripture. And if you read it in the NIV and, or the New King James or the NLT or any of the other translations, it'll be very similar. But uh, I just love the way that it was described in this. It was, it, the, the wording was um, so powerful in, in how they worded it. So a couple of thoughts. And the first one is this, is that uh, you are called out to live out of this world lives. That sounds kind of corny. But you truly were. You were called to live out of this world lives. Look at look at what it says. It says for. uh, Nope. nope. My divine divinely loved friends, since you are resident aliens and foreigners in this world. Since you are resident aliens, this is not your home. This is not where 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 the end is, you know, all done. You're, you're walking through life with, the, with a greater purpose. You're walking through life for eternal value. And so if this isn't our home, then everything we do is leading to a place where we call home. And that's why heaven is so important. That's why heaven is so powerful, because that's the home that at some point we all long to get to. But it's what we do on that journey to get to home that is so powerful. See, when you make this place your home, then you care to fit in. Let's be real. When when this becomes the, the driving force, man, I want to live the most uh, amazing, wonderful life on earth, and I want everybody to like me, and I want to fit in, and I, I need to be liked, then you will do everything you can to meet that need. But the reality is, is this, is that when you realize that you are not, you weren't meant for here, like th- what you're doing now, these these you know, if you're lucky 70, 80 years that you get to live on this rock is just the precursor to an eternal purpose. That everything you do, everything that you're about, everything that you are, everything that drives the very nature and soul of who you are is bound through a different perspective. When I live with heaven as my goal, it changes how I live today. Think about that. When heaven is the end result, then it changes how I live my today and my tomorrow. Because it's, it, although, although having money is necessary here, it's not my driving force. Although being liked is, is, is a good feeling, it is not my driving force. See, all these things that are good don't become your driving force. They're just these additions to your eternal purpose. And you have a different perspective. Christianity is the greatest adventure you could ever take. Can I say that? Like, I believe it wholeheartedly with everything inside of me. It is the greatest adventure you'll ever take. It's the most exciting, most crazy, chaotic, up and down, emotionally draining. (laughs) Like, it is crazy. But it is the greatest adventure you could ever take. And God is the greatest tour guide on this journey called the supernatural life for those of us who are unqualified. The unqualified of God have never been called to fit in anyway. They are the ones who man overlooks, but God notices and plucks from obscurity. God wants to use you. That's what living with a eternal perspective, a heavenly perspective. God wants to use you. God wants to pluck you out of obscurity. Three hundred and what, sixty something billion people in the world Something stupid like that, I don't know, gigantic numbers that don't even make me, like, they just overwhelm me. And to think about how many people actually have lived through all of history. And yet, the Bible says that Jesus died for you. It didn't say that he died for an, a, a collective. He, he literally wants you to remember that on that cross, he carried your sin. Now, imagine, multiply that by billions upon billions upon billions of people throughout all of history. And that's the weight that Jesus carried on the cross. And yet he specifically wants you to recognize that he he knew, like, he could identify your sins. And he carried them for you. He saw you and he said, I see purpose in you. Yeah, but God, you don't understand You don't know my past. No, he does, and yet still wants to use you. God, you don't understand the battles I struggle with. Guess what? He still wants to use you. He's not waiting for you to get cleaned up, 100% cleaned up, for him to use you. God wants to use you right where you're at, and in that process, you're going to want to get even better. See, that's the greatest thing that I love about God. He's not like every other religion that says, you have to come to me perfect before I will use you. You have to come to me cleaned and, and, and all of these things before I will even be in your presence. He says, I will sit with you at the table while you are still a sinner. And I will show you the purpose that you have. That's the God I serve. You were called to live out of this world lives. The the second thought is this. Jesus made me do it. And maybe that could be the line that you tell people. Why are you you talking like, Jesus made me do it. should be on a t-shirt. Jesus made me do it. Unless it's Rob a bank. He didn't make you do it. Okay? There's some things that you can't say Jesus made you do. But as far as this, Jesus made me do it. And you're going to understand why. Matthew 9, 10 through 11, in the message translation, says this. Later, when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house, this was right after, uh, uh, right around the time that he would have probably called uh, the disciples and went to Matthew's house with some close followers. Remember, Matthew was a tax collector. He was the low of the low when it came, which some of you, it's tax time, so you're probably already thinking tax collectors are the low of the low. But anyways, <laughs> uh, he's eating at the tax collector Matthew's house, and he's with his close followers, and it says a lot of disreputable characters, when I get to heaven, that's going to be one of my questions, God. What exactly was a disreputable character to you? Like, I mean, you you put in there that you 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 healed you know you you healed the prostitutes and and you you talked about all sorts, and then like you get to these stories and there's no details, just disreputable characters came and joined them, and when the Pharisees, the religious folks, saw him keeping this uh, kind of company, they had a fit. Oh, pastors and religious leaders don't have fits. We don't try to get holier than thou. We're perfect. And listen, and and lit into Jesus. I would have loved to see that. Do you know who I am, Jesus? I am the religious leader of this town. How dare you have dinner with them? You holy man. How dare you? Like, what does that look, and and how much, listen, you want to talk about self-control. How much self-control does it take Jesus not to, like, die and then down? You know, like, because, like, and and listen, that's where people got to be thankful that people like me are not not given Jesus' role in life, right? Because I'm telling you right now, you come at me with that, and I know what I can do. I'm going to do it. So Jesus, he had a whole lot of self-control and a whole lot of love in him because he had a lot of times where he could have done this. And it says, what kind of example is this from your teacher? This is the religious people talking to Jesus' followers. What kind of example is this from your teacher acting cozy with crooks and misfits? That's the Jesus I want to serve. That's the Jesus I want to do life with. His goal wasn't. As a matter of fact, he even said it this way in other parts of the gospel, where he said, "He said, uh, the 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 healthy don't need a doctor. I've come to heal those that are sick and hurting and needing of change. If Jesus is my example, then religion as we know it is not my friend." There's a whole lot of semantics and theology teaching there that, that religion is good. The word religion is not a bad thing. We twisted it and heard it and made it really bad. But, but the reality is, is, is the thing that people run from, the reason why churches aren't packed every Sunday, that is not who Jesus was. Jesus was the guy who would go and sit with the sinners. He would go and have dinner with them. He would go and visit and hang out. And, and listen, I, everything was for a purpose, it wasn't just Jesus going to the bar to hang out. There was always a purpose, if even nothing more than just to show them that you can be a reputable person in the mix of unreputable people and show them the goodness of God that some, at some point they may change. And it may be a long process. It may take five years. It may take six years of a relationship before they go, hey, um, you know, the, there's, I've noticed there's been some change in you throughout the last few years. And they open the door for you to say, let me tell you. Because of what Jesus did for me, he's allowed me to live in a way that I can show the goodness of God. As I was finishing my message last night, this thought came into my head. It's this, Jesus knew you couldn't change the world if you lived in an echo chamber. Now more than ever, we 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 see the results of echo chambers. If you don't know what that is, it's it's literally where you get funneled into the same groups and conversations, uh, where your uh, your thought process just gets elevated. Right, We've seen it in the political sphere uh, with Facebook and, and all these other social medias. What they do is, is they, there's these, all these algorithms, and it's extremely intelligent and, and much smarter than I could ever imagine or dream would be. But they really say, they say, well, Rodney, you like these things. You like plumbing and race cars, and you're a conservative person. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to make sure that all of your friends that like that kind of stuff, you're going to see more of them. And all of the people that don't have the same likes as you, you're not going gonna to see less of them. And this is what happens on, on social media is they put you in an echo chamber so that your thought process just gets reverberated with the people that you think about it. Think about the people that think opposite of you. You see less of them on social media, even if you're friends with them. And so they, they, they put you in this place where you, you start to, to hear the same things over and over again. So when you hear the opposite, they did this really interesting research with um, Fox News uh, subscribers, watchers, whatever you want to call them, and they paid them 30 days to watch CNN. Um, I don't watch news anyways, but you couldn't pay me to, uh, literally, you could not pay me to watch CNN, Um, but they watched CNN, and here's what the funny part, when they started to poll them, they go, I had no clue that this was happening in our world. Because, because CNN was like, hey, let us tell you the other end of the, the, the spectrum. Let us tell you the other truths than the truths you're hearing. And isn't it funny that we have truths and other truths on both sides? And they did the same thing with CNN and, and made them watch Fox. And it's interesting because they got pulled out of their echo chamber. The things that are important to CNN weren't getting told on Fox. The things that are important to Fox aren't being told on CNN. Both of them are a bunch of liars getting paid a bunch of money to spread untruths or half truths or part truths. Whoever's paying their bills. And the reality is, is that that is our life, captivated in an echo chamber. And the church doesn't do any justice to your lives when we do the same thing because then we say, only, only get around Christian people, only read your Bible, don't read any secular books, don't you know, only, only listen to uh, to, to sec- or, or to Christian music and only watch Christian movies. Yeah. Uh listen, uh there are some really good ones, but you know, there's a lot of corny, cheesy ones as well. And and so we we tell you this and we tell you to get in an echo chamber, and the reality is is that there was never Jesus' intention. He said, if you're gonna look and live like me, then you gotta be out there with the rest of the people. Go where the action is. Jesus made me do it. The third thought is this it's time for a divorce. Don't look around. Don't look to your left or right. That's not what I mean. Calm down. (laughs) Marriage counseling right afterwards. It's time for a divorce. Let me explain. Okay. If you go, if you go back to the uh, first Peter scripture, this is what Peter writes to his followers, Right after he says that we are resident aliens and foreigners in this world, he says, I appeal to you to divorce yourself from the evil desires that wage war within you. Some of us have just tried to put the pet away. And the Bible's saying you need to divorce it completely. Well, I, you know, it's not that big of a deal. But if it's a big enough deal to every time you go back to whatever that was in your life or whatever you have held on to before you came to know Jesus, then maybe you need a complete divorce and not just a separation, trial separation. You need to say that that every time that enters my life, whatever that is, I don't know. Maybe it's an emotion. Maybe it's a friend group. Maybe it's... um, I can think of a thousand different things, alcohol or uh, drugs, or maybe it's food, or maybe it's uh, social media. I-, I know people that literally, like, three times a year, they get on Facebook like, I'm done. I'm getting off. Then they come back, like, six months later, I'm back. It's like, and then they get frustrated again, and they're like, I'm gone. I'm like, listen, <laughs> crazy person, you need to either just pick a, pick a side. Which side are you on? okay. And because they're like, oh, I can, I, can, I can do Facebook for a little bit, or I can do Instagram for a little bit without it impacting my life. And then they're like, no, I can't really. I have no self-control, or I hate this place, or you guys are just crazy, and I don't want to deal with you. And so then they get back off of it. Sometimes we have to realize that the things that are holding us back don't just need separation every now and then. They need a flat-out Divorce, And that's what First Peter was saying. You need to divorce yourself from the evil things that are holding back and causing and waging war. For some of you, you have to divorce your own thinking. You have to stop thinking that, that you are unqualified and therefore you will not try. I don't, I don't look like a successful person. Stop lying to yourself. Stop believing the lie. Stop. Yeah, I think the great, one of the greatest tools that the enemy does is to get us to think negative of ourselves so that we'll never try. You never try to be a better husband or wife. You never try to be a better uh, mother or father or a, uh, try to be a better worker or employee or employer. You never try. So what's the point of trying? Because I know I, I can't be that. I'm going to fail at some point. It's okay. It's okay to fail. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to not be the best all the time. But you have to divorce yourself from things that are spiritually holding you back, spiritually dragging you down, and keeping you from the person that God has created you to be. We all have things that the truth of God confronts in our life. The question is, are we willing to hear it? When God tells you, hey, why, why do you do that? And then you start to try to, you know, reason with him. Well, God, you know, it's, it's not as bad as... Maybe I'm the only person that's ever done that with God. You know, he's like, you know, Scott, that's not good. And I'm like, listen, but it's not murder. Right? I mean, like, because I could have done a lot worse. God's like, I'm not, we're not playing the comparison game. So many times to make ourselves feel good, that's what we do. We'll say, oh, you know, God, I know I'm not like the greatest, you know, but. I'm not this person. (laughs) And and God's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And listen, you think we're bad? Peter did the same thing. When Jesus told Peter, this is how you're going to die, he goes, well, what about John? If I want John to live for the rest of his life, and listen, this is where really bad theology happened because this is what Jesus said. He goes, if I want John to live out the rest of his life until I come back, what's it to you? And so you know what people said? John's going to live forever. Y'all thought gossip was bad during the age of social media. It was just as bad back then. Like there's like whole theologies that say that John never died, ever. He's just waiting for Jesus. Where is he? Why isn't he leading the global church? I mean, the man walked with Jesus. He should be leading the global church. Like I remember when Jesus told me like, okay, cool. I'm going to listen to you a little bit more. The reality is that's not what happened. It's, and, and the problem was is because Peter wasn't hearing the very calling that God had for him and he was concerned with somebody else. And the reality is, is that so many times we don't hear the calling and the purpose that God has for us because we're so worried about what God is going to do in other people's lives. It's time for a divorce. Misfit heroes were never perfect, but they were willing to change, willing to learn, and willing to want, run with a purpose. I want you to hear me On this statement, every God story and every God dream has a divorce in it somewhere. Every God story that you ever hear, read, or listen to has a divorce in it. It has a moment where they had to decide, is that way of living better or is God's way of living better? I have to make a decision because somebody has to be cut off. Every single one of us, if you want your God story to be amazing and successful and to be purpose with the very calling of God, then you have to make that choice and say, God, what are the things that I need to divorce in my life? And maybe it's the way you think. Maybe it's the way you speak. Maybe it's the, the things that you allow into your life that you soak in. Maybe it's somebody. But Every God story and every God dream has a divorce in it somewhere. Lastly, the last point is you got to live honorable lives. This is that action part. This is where like you get to do something and, and, and you get to put it into play. Now listen, here, I think a lot of times we go to church and we go, the, the, the preacher gives you something to work on and you're like, Ugh, I was with you until then. Man, you made me excited. Like, yeah, go God. And the problem is, I think, is because we get overwhelmed with the doing. <sighs> okay, fine. I'm gonna go completely change who I am tomorrow. No, you're not. No, listen. No, you're not. <laughs> you're not. And if you try, you're going to miserably fail by Tuesday. I'll say it again because I believe it's a great rule to live by. Craig Rochelle's 1% rule. What's 1% better that I can do today than I did yesterday? How can I, how can I speak more edifying, build people up 1% better today than I did yesterday? What's, what's something that you're challenged with? Man, I, I, I have a lust issue. Oh, let's not talk about lust in church. Let's talk about it. I have a lust issue. So you know what? Today, I'm going to do 1% better than I did yesterday. If, if, for some of you, that may mean you take the computers out of your room. There's no computer in our house that isn't behind closed doors. It's, it, it just is what it is. You, you know, it, it, listen, it gets worse with, with, you know, literally compact phones that go everywhere with you. And I get that. But um, I've got friends that had really bad lust issues. They put apps. They have apps for your phone with, where, where I could say, hey, look, I've got a problem with pornography. And, and Blake, I'm going to put this app on my phone and you're going to be my accountability partner. You have every time I go to a bad site, you're going to get a text message. Hey, wouldn't that make you think twice about going somewhere? WW Blake's going to call me. It's about time that the church starts talking about how to hold each other accountable in a loving way so that we can build together and grow together. But we're afraid to talk about that stuff because we're afraid that, well, somebody will know that I'm not perfect. Newsflash. We already know. You're not. Per- it's a- you can breathe easy. You can go home, take a nap, knowing you're not perfect. If you didn't know, you know, now, no, I'm telling you, none of us in this room are perfect. So it's okay to go to somebody who is a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving person and say, "I've got faults," and they'll be like, I, "Well, we we knew." So do I. Now let's grow together. Let's build each other up. Yeah, also, you're going to have bad days. You're going to go back to that at some point. You're going to you're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes, but you're going to pick yourself back up to eventually where one day you're going to realize you haven't done it in a long time, and you're not going to want it. Live honorable lives. In 1 Peter, he ends, live honorable lives as you mix with unbelievers. So the honorable lives isn't saying, well, the only way I can live honorable is if I absolutely run away from sin. There's sin. Run away. (laughs) You want to go hang out? No. You're a sinner. No. No. The Bible says that the goal isn't to live honorable lives and and completely devoid of people that don't look like Jesus. It is to live honorable lives mixed amongst the people that don't know Jesus. How else are they going to know what it looks like to live for Jesus and want to change their lives? I I found it interesting that in that set of scriptures, he also says this. Even though they accuse you of being evildoers. Man, can I tell you that Christians are getting hit hard. (laughs) Oh, yeah, outdated believers. Why can't you believe in this? Everybody else does. Why can't you go along with this? Everybody else does. You're culturally old. I want to live in such a way that people recognize that even though they may say what I believe in is evil, that in the way I live, I will prove them wrong. In love and in purpose and in compassion that I will live a life that, that completely shows them the opposite. Don't live godly lives just around godly people. Don't just come to church and raise your hands and, oh, I feel so good here. And then go do whatever you want outside of church. That's not living godly, that's living fake. Now, living godly doesn't mean perfect, it means you're doing everything you possibly can to be the best version of yourself everywhere you go. You have to live it out amongst the unbelievers. Give out what you have taken in and let people take notice for they will see your beautiful works and they will have reason to glorify God. Have you given, listen, good question to ask yourself. Have you given the world a reason to glorify God lately? Have you? Not the church at large, not your pastor, not a leader, not a worship team member, not a greeter. Like you personally, has the, have you given the world around you that you interact with every day a reason to glorify God? I want to read two scriptures and then we're done. Acts 4.13. I've, I've, I've said this scripture a handful of times, so it shouldn't be new to you if you've been here for any time. But it says this, when they saw, this is the religious people once again, right? Religious people got a bad rap in the in the New Testament because they were horrible people. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men, they were were unqualified, they were losers in their eyes, they were astonished, and they took note that they'd been to church every Sunday for the last five years. No. They took note that they led worship. No. It says they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's it and you really want to talk about how to change your life, stop trying to find the newest, next, biggest, baddest way of self-help. You want the world to recognize that your life is different? Get with Jesus. Spend some time with Jesus. Because, listen, they weren't astonished that they just healed a man. That's what they just did. Blake, if you walked in here, and there was some guy sitting outside that could not walk, and you healed them, I'd be more impressed with that. I'm just saying. I mean, like, none of us would be like, oh, wow, (laughs) he's engaged to Brooke. Like, you know, like, it just comes out of nowhere. And it doesn't say that they were astonished that they healed a man. They said they were astonished that these men were unschooled, unlearned, uneducated, and unordinary and that the only thing they took notice of was that they've been with Jesus. Do people take note that you've been with Jesus? Misfits aren't perfect, they are just willing. Willing to do something different, willing to go all in, willing to change the things in them that will change the world around them. Over the next course of these few weeks, we're gonna find out what misfits can teach us. There's a much better way to to understand how to be a misfit than to learn from a misfit. I wanna read the last scripture, Romans 12, one through two. It says this. This is also in the message translation. It says, so here's what I want you to do, and I've read this twice since I've been here at least. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Let's stop right there and think about that. I think the more that we can recognize that we're not trying to be over-spiritual and we're just trying to figure out how God can use us, this is the key. When you go to God and you say, God, I'm just a humble person. I live in a small town that most people have no clue that it's even on the map. I had a judge this week say, how'd you find Camden? Camden. We were talking about the church. I took you know, went to court for, you know, something for, for job related, but we started talking about the church. This is just how my life works. <laughs> I may start one way, I promise you something, I'm gonna end up somewhere else. And he said, Tell me how you found Camden. Did you throw a dart at the map? It's like, this is how people think I found Camden. I can't tell you how many times I've been asked that. So, did you just like put your finger on a map? Listen. It's more of a miracle if I put my finger or threw a dart at a map and found Camden. Let's be real. What a great opportunity to just speak of how God uses ordinary people when you say, God, here's my life. Do with it whatever you want. I mean, literally, you wanna ask us how we found Camden? That's how we found Camden. It was through multiple conversations between me and my wife and us and god and i remember i will still remember the day just looking at my wife and, and laying in bed one night and just going if god told us to pick up and move are you still down Yo, this is the kind of like this this is there, there was no like oh, moment jesus did not part the, the skies he did not crack back the roof of our house and go camden This is, if you build it, they will come moment. Like looking out the windows, cornfields, baseball, Camden. No, literally looking at my wife going. So remember when we were like young and dumb and they're like all excited about Jesus. And we said, we go anywhere like Africa. You still down? If I knew it was him. Cool. Let's go to bed. Years later, (laughs) Camden, I guess we're moving. Just because we did this, whoa, whoa. (laughs) just because we did, we took our everyday ordinary life, our sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life. And we placed before God as an offering. We said, God, whatever you want, whatever you want. If you want us to, to quit our jobs and, and go somewhere, if you want us to, to start a business, if you want us to stop talking certain ways, if you want us to stop listening to certain or watching certain things, God, whatever you want, my everyday life, God, if you want to change my eating habits, I will be willing to listen to you. Although, please don't take ice cream. It says, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to the culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. This is a key understanding the best version of you, that you take your everyday life and you lay it before God and you say, God, however you want me to use, be used. That when you wake up and before you go to work and you say, God, if there's a door that's going to be open to speak of your goodness and live it out, God, help me to be that where I am today. And you'll be amazed of the doors that get opened. You'll be amazed of the opportunities that God places before you when you place your everyday lives before him. And you say, God, I don't want to look like the culture. I may like things that the culture likes, but I'm not going to just go along with what everybody else does. I want to, I want to love you, and I want to live for you. You'll be changed from the inside out because that's the goal. It's not to look a certain way. I get really frustrated when, when I feel like even the culture within the church looks a certain way. Well, it'll be the newest, coolest, hippest Christian. You got to. I don't want to sound judgy, but, but for the sake of that, and I'm not saying that this is true. I'm just saying that I think that there's a lot of people that are going to get up to heaven and go, oh, crap. <laughs> the Bible says so. It says there will be plenty of people that get up to heaven and go, God, we went to church. And he goes, also sat in a garage, but you're not a car. sitting in a gym doesn't make you fit. Wish it did. Go sit in my garage. I'd become a fit car. (laughs) Just like going to church, it doesn't make you any closer to Jesus if you're not willing to do what he asks you to do. Lay your life before him and say, God, whatever it looks like. Here's what I promise. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and be like, thus saith the Lord. I change you into something that you're not. He's going to use who he has created you to be to change the world around you. You like football? You're not going to wake up one day, the next day, and be like, well, I love Jesus. I love golf now. No. He's going to use what you like and what you do and what you're about. Listen, I, I'm not waking up tomorrow and going to be like, well, oh, Jesus, I love crafts. No, that's my wife. I am who I am. God has made me who I am, but he's going to use who I am to change the world around me. But he can't do it if I'm not willing. He can't do it if I don't say yes to him. And he can't do it if I'm not willing to step out and be uncomfortable and be a misfit and choose Jesus. Let's pray. I'm just curious, maybe you're in here and you've, maybe you've battled with your purpose. Maybe you've battled with that, that you know, you're, you're thinking way too big and God is trying to get you to see your, just your everyday Wake up tomorrow and and choose me. Wake up today and divorce yourself from the things that are holding you back and choose me. If you need prayer this morning and and it's centered around that, that where you're saying, man, I just, I want to commit to this. I want to commit to simply daily telling Jesus, I choose you. I choose your way. Help me to be a misfit for your purpose. If that's you, if you need prayer this morning that's geared towards that, you just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Amen. Amen. That, Jesus, that you would use us despite our flaws, which you already knew when you created us. Your word says that you knew us in our mother's womb. You knew the the mess-ups and the mistakes. You knew the, the mishaps and the failures that we would have before the beginning of time, and yet you still chose us. You knew the insecure thoughts that we would have. You knew the, the unholy things that would happen in our life. And yet you still chose us. Matter of fact, the Bible says that before we could ever choose to follow you, you had already chose to love us. So the greatest part about any of this is that we don't act to gain love. We, we react because you loved us. I choose to live a certain way. I choose to speak and think and and become a certain way, not to gain your love, but because of your love. Father, speak that into our hearts that we move with you for a purpose. God, help us daily to wake up and say, I lay my waking moments my eating and sleeping, my coming and going, my, my everyday actions before you, and I ask Jesus that you would have your way in them. Give my mouth the ability to speak life. Give my brain the ability to think of holy and noble and purposeful things. God, help me to change, not from the outside in so that people would think that I am something, but from the inside out so that I truly grab a hold of your kingdom purpose and perspective. Jesus, I pray this over us. Give us opportunities to live out your kingdom in a unique way. God, I pray for those that need to divorce something. And God, even as I say that, there, I believe there are people in this room that know exactly what it is that is holding them back, exactly what it is that keeps them from being the exact person that they want to be in you. And God, I pray, Jesus, right now that you would help them. God, daily wake up and start to divorce themselves and pull them and pry themselves away from the thing that holds them back. And trust you more, that we would lean into your purpose and calling. God, I pray for our community that it would be different because we are willing to be misfits. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.